0: You are listening to audio from Hyde Park Baptist Church in Lumberton, North Carolina. You can join us each Sunday morning at 1045 Eastern Standard Time at hydepark.online.church. I don't know about you, but I think an amen needs to come out right about there. My goodness. Yeah. There is no wall. He won't kick down. Man, alive, lie. That, um, that says something about the compassion And the love of the God that we serve and has changed our life. Turn to Matthew chapter 9. That that song transitions really well into where we're going to be today. Matthew 9. We're also going to be in Luke 15. Uh, As you're finding your place, I want to say welcome to all those watching online. And of course, you that are here today, we're glad that you're here. If you're a guest today, if we haven't already connected with you, we'd really like to. We've got some folks out in the uh, foyer there. We call them our designated stalkers. No, I'm joking. Not really. They, they will try their very best to connect with you. They're not going to be too pushy, but they do want to, uh, well, get to know you. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we take it seriously that the Lord's led you here. And uh, we want to serve you as best we can. And if we can follow up with you, that would be even better. Luke chapter 9, and we'll pick it up in verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages Teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Father, we pause this morning and we just want you to know that we love you because of the great love you have for us. Father, it's a love that pursued us. Father, I'm always blown away that You always have your eye on the outcast. And Father, that's who I was when you found me. Lord, your love and your grace and your compassion, the world doesn't quite understand it. It was a love and a grace that compelled you in eternity past to allow your son to die on a cross. That was already decided long before the universe existed. And it was out of that great love that you bring people back into a right relationship with you and you change their life from the inside out. Father, we are deeply grateful for the good news and we are deeply grateful for the cross and the empty tomb. But Father, for those of us who have experienced such a great love, it was never meant for us to just kind of hoard that. So Father, may we Be compassionate the same way we've received compassion. May we give out grace, the same grace that we've received. And Lord, we ask for your power and your presence here to overshadow everything else. For you are worthy to be exalted. And so, Father, we honor your name. And Father, our eyes are on you. And all the troubles of this past week and all the stuff that's gone on in our life, we we just let all that fall into the background. We love you, we thank you for your goodness, we thank you for the power of your word. We ask all this in Christ's name, amen. Some years ago, a good friend of mine who was teaching at a community college, not the one here, but in another county, told me a story about an experience that she had and um, she'd been teaching there a long time and she was going to class, and her, her office just happened to be right off of the student center. And she was kind of running late that morning, and it had been raining all night, and so it was just rainy, dreary morning. And so she's walking into the student center, and she's got high heels on, and she's got her laptop in her case, and she's got books in her arms and papers and everything else. And, and she walks into the student center, and it's just a, a beehive of activity. People going every direction, and people trying to get to classes, and that ceramic tile floor that's in that student center is very slick when it gets wet. And she walked about halfway across the student center and her feet flew out from under her and she hit that floor and her laptop hits the floor, papers and books go everywhere and it's right in the middle of like the hub of activity on the entire campus. And it's one of those falls that when you hit the floor you kind of have to pause for a minute and go, wait a minute, did I just break something and knock the wind out of her? And you know, her laptop's broken, her books are everywhere. And, The most interesting part of the story is what happened next, or actually what didn't happen. Uh, All the students just kind of continued on their own way. Nobody stopped to help her. She did notice that most people, when they were walking by, were looking at their phone, and that there were people who glanced at her, saw her on the floor, saw all of her papers, and was literally walking over her papers and even walking over her to continue on with her day. Folks, we have a famine in the land, and it's everywhere, and it's a lack of compassion. You saw it already this week. There's all kinds of reports in the news about all kinds of illegal activity happening and people, isn't it interesting that, that we live in a day and time where we have such powerful technology that we can pull our phones out and we can, we can film and even live stream stuff that's happening live and there could be a car accident or there could be you know, someone stealing something or even someone assaulting a female and it's amazing to me how quickly we get that video but I have to ask the question, I mean it begs the question, the person who's folding the phone, The one who's walking by, did it ever dawn on them that maybe, just maybe, I should get involved here? Or are we living in a society by which we are so self-consumed now and so focused on our schedules and so focused on ourselves, even to the degree that we love entertainment so much that we'll be entertained while someone else is being mugged or while someone else's house is burning down? that we see that as an opportunity to be entertained and to share all the cool stuff that we got a front row seat to on our Facebook feed, but yet it never crosses our mind to go actually put the phone down and to go over and help someone? Compassion. If if there's ever been a time in our lifetimes where the love of the church, the compassion that the church is to have for the nations contrast with where the world is is right now. I mean, think about it. If you're simply friendly to someone, if you're simply kind to someone, if you simply hold the door or let someone go in front of you, it's like a big deal now. People really notice that because they're so used to not seeing compassion. They're used to seeing self-centeredness and self-righteousness and arrogance and quite frankly, everything but compassion. So there's never been a time that's greater to contrast a Christ follower from the rest of the world if we're truly showing compassion. Jesus has got three and a half years to train these disciples, 12 of them. And the problem is, is that they have grown up in a system, Judaism, that has quite frankly stopped showing any compassion to anyone who's different than them, especially those who are hurting, the outcast, the broken, the sick, the the lame. The nation of Israel, you you need to get this, the nation of Israel was placed on this earth to be a light to the nations, to do exactly what we know to be doing as a church. And that's to show compassion to broken people all through the Old Testament. The people of Israel are commanded to take care of the outcast, the orphan, the one who has nobody. But you know what happened over time? Israel and and its rulers, its leaders, the Pharisees, they came to the point or got to the point where instead of being compassionate for people, they became the gatekeepers of religion. They became the ones who would point out the outcast and say to them and everyone around, that person is unworthy because they're sick, because they have leprosy because they're blind. Look, guys, if, if, if they're blind, they must have done something wrong. They must have sinned, or, or maybe their parents sinned, and, and this is what they deserve. They don't deserve healing, and they certainly don't deserve to come in with us and worship a holy God. You see, they became the gatekeepers of religion, and compassion just leaked right out of the entire nation. And Jesus has been modeling something that quite frankly has got the religious rulers really upset because Jesus seems to be preoccupied with the broken and the hurting and the outcast. And for the religious rulers, they keep accusing him of all kinds of things, but the thing that's really gotten in their crawl, the really thing that's just kind of under their skin is the fact that not only would Jesus spend time healing people that they believed didn't deserve it, but Jesus would befriend, he would become friends with all kinds of people. Quite frankly, a lot of Baptists, if you were to get in in a time machine and go back in time, if you could go back, there'd be a whole lot of Baptists that would see Jesus hanging out with some people and you'd be offended. Could that be a compassion problem? I think so. So what we're going to take a look at today in Matthew 9 and then of course Luke 15 is how that the Lord, our King, our Savior, rejoices in people who run towards the broken. As a matter of fact, the mission of the church is exactly that. To run towards broken people. To not have pity. You see, there's a difference between pity and compassion. Pity sees the problem, but does nothing about it. Pity says, oh man, I hate that that's going on in that person's life and just move on with your life. Compassion says that I hurt with you. I'm willing to weep with you. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to take the time to help. And Jesus knows that these disciples have got to be prepared for what's coming next, and that's the New Testament church. Take a look at what Jesus says here. He says in verse 35, he says, He went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. I want to give you a little background leading up to this text. I want you to see just up till chapter 9 in Matthew, just how much Jesus has been hands-on In the ministry. So if you go back, you don't have to turn back there, but in chapter 8, verse 4, Jesus heals a leper, a guy with leprosy. It was a skin disease, and that skin disease was horrifically bad. And it was something that you couldn't hide, and it was something that caused you to be unclean, impure. You could not worship at the temple, you could not participate in Judaism at all. And as a matter of fact, every town that you went into, you had to cry out to let people know that you had leprosy so that everyone could stay away from you. You talk about an outcast. Leprosy, those with leprosy were certainly outcasts. Jesus touches him, heals him. A centurion, a Gentile, a non Jew has a servant that is deathly ill. And he goes to Jesus and asks Jesus to heal his servant, who certainly probably was a Gentile as well, and Jesus does it. Then he ends up at Peter. Peter's one of the disciples, and Peter's mother-in-law is sick, about to die, and Jesus goes to her house and heals her, and then while he's there, the word gets out, and the next thing you know, there's all kinds of people around Peter's house, and there's demon-possessed people, there's people who are sick and lame and paralyzed and deaf, and Jesus is healing them. There were some there that day that were demon-possessed. He cast the demons out. In chapter eight, verse 26, the disciples were out in a boat in a storm and they're all about to die. It's not just those folks out there, but it was the disciples who were in big trouble. They go wake Jesus up. Jesus walks out and says, what's the big deal? Says peace and the storm goes away. He cast two demons, or he cast demons out of two men. They go to this place called Gadara. Nobody went to Gadara. Gadara is like, Gadara would be like the edge of the world that nobody went to. It would be like the town that everybody talked about. Don't go there. Well, Jesus goes there. And as soon as he gets out of the boat and walks into Gadara, guess what he runs into? He runs into two guys who have been so demon-possessed they've had to be chained I mean, they're out of their minds. They've been cutting themselves. And, and they were the talk of the town. There was no hope for these two guys. Jesus walks up and he casts the demons into a herd of pigs. I guarantee you this, you'd have never found a Pharisee or a religious ruler there. But that's where Jesus went. And then you get into the story in 8, chapter eight uh, or chapter 9, verse 6. It's the same story in Mark 2. The story you've heard about in vacation Bible school, right? Or Sunday school when you were kids? There's these four guys who have a buddy who's a par- who's paralyzed, and there's so many people around Jesus, they can't get into Jesus. Jesus is in this little house, and they can't get in there because everybody's around Jesus. So they come up with this radical idea. They take him up on the roof, and they tear the roof apart, and they lower this guy on a mat down in front of Jesus, and Jesus not only heals him, but forgives him of his sin. And everybody in the room, especially the religious rulers, are just completely dumbfounded that first of all, Jesus would have anything to do with that guy, much less heal him and forgive him of his sins. There's a ruler who has a daughter who's died. You talk about a hopeless situation. This ruler has a daughter who died and he goes to Jesus. He's begging Jesus for him. Now, now, trust me when I tell you, there was nobody else to go to. They'd heard about what Jesus could do. And Jesus raises this guy's daughter back to life. In, in the process of talking with him, he's in this crowd of people, and all of a sudden, he stops, and he looks looks at his disciples and says, "Wait a minute, wait a minute! Somebody touched me." And The disciples are like, "Yeah, Jesus, everybody's touching you." No, no, no! Somebody touched me with faith, and he turns around, and there's a woman. This story always gets me. There's a woman on the ground. She's been to every doctor. She's been to every soothsayer. She's been to every religious ruler she can find. She's paid all kinds of money, and she still has this issue that she can't get past. In her last desperate effort to reach through the legs of all these people to touch Jesus by faith, Jesus says, somebody here is touching me with faith, and it was this woman, and he heals her, and she walks away clean. You see, everyone had ostracized her, Everybody looked down their nose at her. She walked out of that crowd that day a brand new woman. The reason I'm telling you this is because Jesus has been doing this exact work, compassion for people that nobody cared about. You see, there's one thing that all these people had in common. Every one of them leading up to chapter nine, they were all outcasts. They were all nobodies. The the Pharisees and the religious rulers wouldn't have given them the time of day. If the religious rulers saw these people in the street, they looked the other way, walked around the block to get away from them. The religious rulers had been put on this earth to run towards those people had turned their back on them. And then when Jesus comes to do that exact work, you know what they do? They accuse him of being a blasphemer. Because it was so radical that anybody could love those people. I mean, those people. But here's the thing you got to see. Jesus was not able to heal every single person in every single city. It's not because he had a lack of power. I mean, Jesus could snap the word, snap his fingers. He's God in the flesh. He could have snapped his fingers and everybody but him, but that's, that's not his mission. Remember, his mission is to go to a cross. His mission is to prepare these 12 men, which eventually become 11, because Judas betrays and hangs himself, but these 11 men are gonna go on and start the New Testament church, and they absolutely cannot turn into religious gatekeepers who have no compassion for the most broken people. They've gotta see what Jesus does, they gotta see how he loves, and they've gotta mirror that when he heads back to the Father. But Jesus couldn't go into every town and heal every person, he just didn't do it. It wasn't his mission. Somebody else has that mission now. I mean, Jesus' ministry was only three and a half years. And the ministry that he's starting is a global mission, so it it can't be contingent just upon him. He's going to die, resurrect, and ascend back to the Father. So Jesus is preparing not only these 11, but for the church itself. Now notice what happens here. He says, when he saw the crowds, verse 36, he had compassion for them. Because they were harassed and helpless. Those two Greek words there in, in, the, in the background means that they were distressed and they were cast down. So when Jesus, Jesus turns to his disciples and he takes the disciples, and he says, Look at these people. You've got to see them, you've got to recognize them. They are harassed, they are helpless. Disciples, they are people who have no hope. And Jesus says they are like sheep without a shepherd. You know what happens to sheep without a shepherd? Well, their lifespan is not very long. I don't know how much you've heard about sheep as they're described in the Bible. We, as followers of Jesus, are described as sheep. Guess what? Sheep are not the smartest animals on the farm. They're just not have a tendency to wander off, get into trouble, Jesus says, look at them. He says to the disciples, look, look them in the eyes, look at, where, look at the, the mass they're laying on, look at their blindness, look at their deafness, look at, look at their broken legs, look at their, how their bodies are ravaged, and, and look past all of that and see the person, and Jesus says he has compassion for them. You see that word compassion? It's only used seven times in the entire New Testament. Six of those seven times deals only with Jesus. It's not used anywhere in the epistles, not used anywhere in John's or Paul's or Peter's writings, only in the Gospels, and it only is used to describe Jesus. And every time it's used except for one time is when Jesus looks at the crowds and he has compassion. And that word compassion means he felt it down in his body. He felt the weight of the sickness and the sin and the brokenness. And he says to his disciples, see them. Because, gosh, you cannot turn into religious gatekeepers. You've got to have compassion. Jesus had compassion for him, and listen to what he says. He says, Then he says to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out more laborers into the harvest. You see, Jesus' ministry, his purpose, what he was doing was preparing these 11, and that those 11 would enter the ministry of compassion. He says to them, look, it's like a field of wheat, and the wheat is just hanging there ready to be harvested, but what's gotta happen is laborers have gotta enter the field, people with compassion have gotta enter the ministry field, and they've got to see the people who are broken, and they've got to not have pity, but have love that causes them to act. I grew up in the mountains, as you know, and the Brushy Mountains, some of you are familiar with that area up there, it's, uh, it's where you go to buy apples, and there are two apples, oh my goodness, when these things come in harvest, I'm all about them, Honeycrisp and Galas, I love those two apples, and you talk about some apple pies, I shouldn't talk about that because now I'm, I'm getting all of you thinking about dinner, right, I'm getting, <laughs> so I mean, forget the apple pie, don't, don't even think about that. But up, up in the mountains, these large apple groves, uh, they still don't use machinery to, to gather those apples. You know what they do? They go out with a ladder in this big old basket that they kind of hang on their belt. It's got this big harness and they pick them by hand. Now I want you to imagine in your mind's eye, you're looking across the mountainside, our beautiful landscape of apples. Those trees are just bent low. The apples are just hanging all over those trees, ready to be harvested. And nothing makes a farmer happier than harvest time. Nothing makes a farmer happier than when the laborers go into the field to harvest the apples or the wheat or whatever. Just imagine all those apples hanging in those trees. Wouldn't it be an awful thing that there's not enough laborers to go out there and gather those apples? That they just simply rot? And of no use to anyone? Jesus says, look at the, he says, disciples, look at the crowd. He says, look at this crowd. I want you to see the brokenness. And he says, there is a great harvest to be had, but we need laborers to enter the field. You see, Robinson County, we, I don't know if you know this or not, but in Robinson County, we don't have a lack of lost people. We don't have a lack of churches. We got churches on every corner. You can't throw a rock. <laughs> you can't throw a rock Harley, in Robinson County without eating the church building. But Robinson County is the most lost today that it's ever been in the history of Robinson County. Let me say that again. There are more lost people that you work with, that you play baseball with, that you play golf with, that you go to the movies with, that you interact with at Walmart. There are more lost people in Robinson County today than there ever has been. And get this, the church is not even keeping up We're not even close to keeping up. We we are having more Christians die than more than than, than are being reached with the gospel in Robinson County. The gap is getting bigger, the harvest is getting wider, and you know what the problem is? It's not a lack of harvest, it's a lack of laborers entering the field. And I dare say I, I have to wonder if it has to do with compassion. I know you're busy. I'm busy, we're all busy. But the problem's not the harvest, the problem's the laborers. Turn over to Luke 15. Jesus, I want, us, I want you to see Jesus in this setting here because Jesus wasn't just someone who told his disciples what to do, Jesus is someone who did it. And, and yes, Jesus healed, he, he, he raised the dead back to life, but I, I want you to see this setting right here in, in Luke 15. Luke fifteen is a pretty well known chapter because this whole chapter talks about lost things being found. So on the one hand, The the Lord of the harvest, man, he loves it when his people go into the fields because the harvest is great. You, you You want the Lord to be thrilled? Enter the work that he's given you to do as a follower of his. But look here in Luke 15. Check this out. Verse one. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, this man receives sinners and eats with them." Oh, look at who he's hanging out with. Jesus is hanging out with those kind of people. As I said before, if you could go back in time, if I could take a busload of Baptists back in time, yeah, I'm picking on the Baptists this morning. And I could pull up into this scene right here and you knew the context, you knew what was going on. I wonder if it would be some people on the bus going, I didn't know Jesus hung out with those kinds of people. These religious rulers, the gatekeepers, the ones who have been the protectors of Judaism and religion, who were put on this earth to run towards the people Jesus is running to. What's interesting to me is the contrast between these religious rulers and Jesus. Jesus is a Jewish Messiah. And he's doing exactly what the nation failed to do. And and they look at it and go, oh, we gotta gotta kill this guy. I mean, we, we gotta take him out. He's a threat to our system. Jesus not only is healing broken people, but get this, dare I say, Jesus has made friends with them. Jesus is hanging out with people, telling them about the good news of the gospel, Because he loves them. Yes, he loves broken people. Yes, Jesus was loving the outcasts. Yes, Jesus was hanging out in their houses, eating meals with them, telling them the good news, loving them right where they are. Now, make sure you understand, Jesus is not compromising anything here. He's simply building relationships with people and then telling them the good news. So he he hears the grumbling. He's heard it multiple times. Well, I think it's time for a story, something to kind of bring some correction. And, and specifically, this parable, while the, the Pharisees hear it, this parable is to get the attention of the disciples who are standing right by his side, who are sitting with him. Remember, he's always training the twelve, always equipping them, always trying to separate them and not allow them to be gatekeepers of religion, to be men of compassion. Here's what he says. He says, so he told them a parable. A parable is a is a story that's cast alongside a spiritual truth. The word parable literally means to cast alongside. He says, what man of you having a hundred sheep? If he's lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. So Jesus says he always does with these parables. He starts with a story that would have immediately connected with them. They all had the imagery of shepherds. That was, well, that was their culture. It's a very agrarian culture, agriculture. Uh, wealth was counted by animals, not necessarily money in the bank. So the people that were there that day from the disciples to the Pharisees and to the crowd, when he starts talking about sheep and shepherds, they know exactly what he's talking about. Here's what he says. He says, imagine you've got a hundred sheep and one of those sheep wander off. Just one, just one sheep. You've got 99, but one wanders off. Now, now the, the religious gatekeepers, the, the, the Pharisees, the way they're living their life, they would say, well, who cares about one? We've got 99. But that's not how Jesus sees it. Jesus says, what shepherd worth anything would ever just forget about the one? And in this parable, it's all about the one. Jesus says that any shepherd worth anything is gonna leave the 99 and go after the one. Well, now, mathematically, I know that doesn't make sense. I mean, are you putting the other 99 at risk? Well, the parable doesn't really say. It's not the point of the parable. The point of the parable is, is that the one is valuable. The point of the parable is, is that the one matters. The point of the parable is, is that we're willing to take the risk to show compassion for the one. Sheep wander all. They, they get Distracted and just kind of do their own thing. But the problem is with the one who's out there by himself, there's great harm that can be done there wolves, thickets, cliffs, lack of food, lack of water, lack of medicine, lack of care. So Jesus says, You guys know that when you look at shepherds, you know how much they love their flock, and you know that they will walk away from that 99 to go find that one. Guess what the nation of Israel was called to do? To go after the one. But the nation of Israel has now become so inward and so focused, they only want to protect the few that's part of their in crowd. He says that if he's lost the one, does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that's lost until he finds it? Verse five. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. The imagery is that if you find the one, more than likely the one's in bad shape. If you find the one, It may be that they are in deep need. From the context of sheep, it may be that they're sick, it may be that they're hurt, it may be that they're injured, it may be that they haven't had any water and food for days. That's okay, because you know what? The shepherd loves them so much, the one, so much, that immediately upon finding the sheep, he's gonna rejoice, put that sheep up on his shoulders, and carry that sheep back and he's going to rejoice in the moment that he finds the one because the one is so valuable the one is so important yes the 99 are important but the one that has wandered off that one is in danger that one is about to die that one doesn't even know it that one is wandered off has no idea the danger that it's in but the shepherd knows and compassion compels the shepherd to go after the one because the one matters The religious rulers would say, no, it doesn't. All that matters is our four or our 70 or our couple of hundred that we've got on the inside. And he says to his friends when he calls them together, when he gets the sheep home, he calls his friends together and they all rejoice at the fact that something important and valuable has been found. They have a party, they heal the sheep, get the sheep, it's some food and water and Back part of the fold now. Notice this last statement in verse seven. Just so I tell you, there will be much more, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Wow. Wow. Jesus says that up in heaven, when the one is sought, when the one is went after, and when that one comes home, and when that, that one representing the sinner, representing the lost person, Representing that person who's not put their faith in Jesus, who's broken and hurting. We go after the one. You know what happens up in heaven? A party breaks out. When you came to faith in Christ, when you put your faith in Jesus, there was a party that broke out in heaven. Did you know that? It's because you were important. You're valuable. And the, and the fact is is that the gospel found you through somebody. Somebody who had compassion, somebody who loved you, somebody who saw what you needed more than anything else, more than money, more than politics, more than social media, more than any of that, they saw through all of that, and they saw your deepest need. It could have been a Sunday school teacher, vacation Bible school leader, it could have been a pastor, it could have been a spouse, it could have been a friend, I don't know. But somebody saw you. Aren't you glad that somebody saw you? Aren't you glad that somebody didn't pay all their attention to the 99, but decided to walk away from the 99 because you were in need? I'm very thankful for that. Just a few things before we wrap it up here. You are either the harvest or the laborer. You're either the 99 or you're the one. The Bible does this over and over again. There really is only two possibilities here. On the one hand, you're the part of the harvest, which means, or or, or you're the one that's wandered away. You're the one that needs to repent and, and make things right with the God who created you. And I wonder if God hasn't been sending people into your path, he has a way of doing that, and they've been showing you compassion and they've been telling you about how they've found life in Jesus and you just keep rejecting it. The fact of the matter is you're either the laborer or you're the harvest. You're either the 99 or the one. If you're the one, if you're the harvest, if you're, if you're the one far from Jesus, where else are you going to find compassion like this? The world? The friends you've been running with, the ones that you're running with now, are they, did they have that kind of compassion? Are they that concerned about you? Or, or maybe, maybe it's like this, when you run out of money, or when maybe you say something wrong, they drop you like yesterday's news. Is that the kind of compassion that he's talking? No. The fact is, you're not gonna find that anywhere else except with Jesus. And here's the other part. Where you should find it, where you should be finding it, is it's within the church of Jesus Christ. I am I am thankful to be part of a church that runs towards broken people. I'm gonna say that again because I believe it, I see it every week. I am thankful to be part of a church who runs unabashedly, unashamedly towards broken people. I see you do it every week. And I'm thankful for that. But, folks, I also know that there's a whole lot of churches out there that used to do that who've now become gatekeepers of religion. And, man, they have no compassion at all. And I've been in those churches, I've spoken in those churches, and it is a cold, dead, dry place. And at some point in their history, they were passionate about the one, but now they've become about themselves. You're either the harvest or the laborer. You're either the 99 or the one. In church, we need to see the harvest and we need to see the one. I find it amazing where Jesus keeps bringing the attention of the disciples back to the crowd. He says, do you see them? Because we have a tendency not to see them. We had a tremendous event here last night. I want to say thank you for all those who volunteered and helped. And I got to stand out there in front of that gym and just get to talk with people. A whole lot of people I didn't know, but I counted it a privilege to get to introduce myself to these people, get to hear a little of their stories. Let me tell you what I found out last night. A lot of broken people. Listen, when someone's willing to share their brokenness with a stranger, they didn't know me. I had people out there telling me about their brokenness. And I was thinking about this sermon today, and I can't help but think, when Jesus said to the disciples, do you see, church, did you see last night? For those who were here, Maybe you just came through and got a a bag of candy. Well, glad that he came. But do do you see the people? Do you see the brokenness? Do you see the hurt? Do you see the pain? Your coworkers, the ones you go to school with, the the ones you work with, look around you. You don't have to look far. Do you see it? Well, in that moment, you have a choice. Either it's going to be pity or compassion. What's it going to be? If you're a child of God, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've only got one option, and that's compassion. If you want to be right with him. And yeah, I know. I know it's going to get you involved in their life and involved in their problems. You've got problems of your own, but pity's not an option. And that's, what the, that's not what they need. There's a part, you know I like to hike. There's an area in the western part of North Carolina beyond Asheville called the Linville Gorge area. It's a beautiful area. I hope to get to hike it maybe in the spring, but there's one particular trail system there that takes several days to go through, and it's very remote. There's no roads or communities. I mean, it is really remote. It is a very remote area in North Carolina. And there'll be, there, I've read several accounts where people have hiked into that area and they lose their way, they lose the trail. They, they, they don't know which way to go and they get lost, so they have to have people go in and rescue them and get them out. So I wanna, I wanna give you an imaginary story for us to think about this as we close this morning. Let's imagine that a family goes up, and they're going to hike some of Linville Gorge. And while they're hiking, their 11-year-old daughter, Olivia, gets lost. And I just picked these names, so, you know, just random names here. And somehow they get separated, and, and Olivia gets lost, and they can't find her, and they make their way back to the trailhead, and they call the authorities, and the authorities swoop in because in Linville Gorge area, you have black bears, you have cougars, you've got all kinds of animals in there. You, you've got a young girl who's not dressed for nighttime, and it's gonna get cold. She doesn't have enough food, she doesn't have enough water, so this thing is, this is serious. So they gather there at the trailhead, and they've got all their operations centers and all that stuff going on, and people begin to search and search and search, and they can't find her, and then eventually, they put a, a thing out on social media saying, if you're available, and you you live in the area, could you come and, and bring a team so we can go find Olivia, because time is of the essence. And hours go by, and hours go by, and. And everybody's searching frantically and it's all over the news. So you decide you're going to take a team because you want to go find this little girl who's lost. So you put a team together. You go up there and you find the command center. And you pull in and and you can't help but notice something. There's a whole lot of people at the trailhead. And they've brought their campers and their tents and it looks like they're having a party. People are cooking hamburgers and hot dogs. Almost looks like tailgating going on. You got a softball game going on over here. People throwing Frisbee and got some older guys playing shuffleboard and got some dodgeball going on. And like, this is really odd. I thought we were here to search for Olivia. So, so finally you take your team and say, who's the leader? So they take you, take you to the leader and leaders meets you and you say, hey, hey, we're here. We're here to help out. Great, great. Hey, grab you a hamburger, grab you a hot dog. You know, we got a softball game. If you hurry, you might get in on the next game. Hey, if, if we got all kinds of stuff going on here, uh, we're glad that you're here. Well, obviously your response is going to be, wait a minute, I thought the whole purpose of this is to go find this little girl who's lost in the woods. And then the guy goes, oh, I see. You're one of those kind of people. A little bit fanatical, right? How dare you come in here and tell us what we ought to be doing? I mean, think about it. We've, we, we've been out here all this time. It's okay for us to have some fun, right? We need, to, we need some time to, to kind of have some recreation and kind of unwind a little bit. Do you think that's wrong? Should, should we not be able to gather in some groups here and have some good discussions and you know, have a little cookout over here and a softball game over here? What's wrong with that? Well, I thought we were here to find the one that's lost. Well, just so you know, every day we walk to the edge of the campground and we go, Olivia, Olivia, come, come to the camp. We do that every hour on the hour. She hasn't responded yet. She hasn't come to us. So we've come to a conclusion, I, I'm not so sure that Olivia really even wants to be found. You may be thinking at this point, this is the most ludicrous story I've ever heard in my life. This is crazy. This is insane. Who would ever do anything like that? The Western church in America does it every single week. We've got all of our stuff going on. We've got our parties and our dinners and our cookies. I'm not saying that's bad. Fellowship's a good thing. I love fellowship. But the church of Jesus Christ is to be a search and rescue operation, Period. Hot dogs, hamburgers, that's wonderful. But when are we actually going to go look for the one? When are you going to look for the one? Because the one desperately needs somebody to show them compassion. Because they are sheep without a shepherd. And you and I, who've experienced that kind of love and that kind of forgiveness and that kind of grace, how dare us not enter the field's? I love it when people come to our church. I love it when people come on our campus. I love it. But listen, the majority of lost people out there are never going to step foot on this campus. It don't matter what kind of event we have. They will never step foot on this campus because they look at us and go, oh, that's a bunch of religious people. I want nothing to do with them. No, it requires us to go into the fields. That's where the harvest is. And you know what's missing in the harvest? Laborers. Father in heaven, I love the beauty of your word. I love the clarity of your word. But Father, right now in this moment, there are two groups of people in this room. And in this room and online, one group of people, they are the ones who are the harvest. They are the ones that are seeking compassion and love. They are the ones that need your grace. And Father, what is needed most in their life is surrender, a turning away from their brokenness and a turning towards you. So Father, in this very room is the one. In this very room today and online, there are many ones out there. Father, I pray that they would know they've not gone too far. I pray they would know, Father, that your grace is sufficient, that no matter the sin or the brokenness, that they can be fully and completely restored. But Father, also in this room, And online are people who are not entering the harvest. There are people in this room who are not running towards the broken with compassion. And Father, what an awful thing it is to be the recipient of your grace and your forgiveness and your love and never even once bring that up with another person. Father, oh, there is some healing that needs to be done in this room and online, and there's some forgiveness that needs to be extended. But what really needs to happen, Father, is a full and complete surrender. We love you, we thank you. And during this time, I pray that people will feel the freedom to move, to pray. Have your will in your way. We ask it in Christ's name, amen.